Hello and welcome to another episode of My Drunk Movie Theater. I'm Kyle Sutton. I'm Trisha Campbell. And Riker's here with the squeaky ball. Hi, buddy. Alright, so... Since last week... We had, uh... We didn't have any issues, I don't think. I don't know, have you had any fun stories to share? AC went down, but... And it was fixed. And that's a common occurrence. We had one go down yesterday. It never got too. above like 78 in the theater, and everyone was super nice about it. So. Oh, yeah. No, one of ours went to 76 last night, so I went ahead and got a hold of our tech. But anyway, um, all right. Well, so not anything that happened at our theater. However, Dave Batista apparently has beef with a, uh, with a theater chain in New Mexico. And, well, I'm going to read you the tweets about it. Uh, so this is Flick's Brew House, which I guess is kind of like a, another version of a, of an Alamo Draft House type of thing, um, where they serve the food and everything in there. Apparently their policy though, they actually, hold on. So I'm, I'm, here's their policy about late arrivals. Uh, we begin seating approximately 30 minutes prior to showtime in order to provide food and beverage service before the feature begins. We do not seat late arrivals after the feature begins, so you will not be able to see the show if you're not on time. My question is then, so they're talking about serving food before the movie. Do not serve food during the movie, or that's kind of how it sounds. Yeah. Well, at least that's what I'm inferring here. Um, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. So, anyway, well, Dave Batista went there. I'm assuming to go to a showing of his movie, Stuber. Uh, got caught outside in the, uh, er, in the lobby by fans and did the gracious thing, took pictures with them, greeted people, all that. Tried to go into the auditorium while the trailers were still playing. They would not let him in at all. So, these are the tweets that he sent out. Uh, at Flix Brewhouse, New Mexico. Worst experience at a movie theater in my life? Your manager, Tiffany, needs some serious help with her people skills. You're welcome for taking pictures with all your customers while Tiffany was treating me and Amari Hardwick just like poop emoji. I'm going to say <laughs> shit just because we're adults here. Uh, hashtag bad business. Uh, let's see, to which they responded back and said, Dave, we're incredibly sorry that happened. We do try to protect the movie experience for our guests, which is why we don't allow late arrivals. We'd welcome the opportunity to chat with you and try to make it right. Of course, Batista said, we were one minute late with an empty theater, except for my assistant who was in the theater, who came out and then was able to go back in. Policies are policies, but how about treating people with some sense of courtesy? In mine and Amari Hardwick's case, professional courtesy. Uh, he brings up a good point there. Like, yeah, I get trying to preserve the, the experience, but at the same time, you're letting people get up and leave, go to the bathroom, go to the snack bar, get their stuff, come Dude, back in. Right. How is that any less disruptive than someone coming late? Right. Um, so he continues on. Maybe you can protect your guest movie experience by not allowing a photo session in your lobby while being turned away for being a minute late from the theater doors closing. I didn't mind because I like to treat people with courtesy, but that's just me. Um, somebody of course responded back the only way to solve this is to have Tiffany and Dave meet at Wrestlemania in the ladder match share this so it can happen and tag Dave Batista <laughs> to which I'm going yes a Batista bomb off of the top of the ladder would be amazing uh, but don't be a minute late or Tiffany won't let you watch the match her catchphrase is hashtag what's bad, bad for business she's not good at the business thing or the people skills thing or the being flexible with your policies when it's just a decent thing to do um I will never in my life, or hold on, and then another person responded, I guess famous people feel entitled to do whatever they please, but when management follows policies and rules, they feel the need to get mad for all the wrong reasons. I maybe, saw that one. Maybe show up on time next time. To which he responded, I will never in my life figure out why people say stupid shit like this, but hey, you keep being perfectly punctual and judgmental. I wasn't mad, by the way, just shocked that we weren't into a, or led into a movie that started at 3.15 when we were there at 3.30 and the trailers were still running. 
I agree with him for the most part. The only thing I don't like about that is that he called out the manager by name, which granted he didn't give a last name. He yeah. didn't, they didn't connect to their social media or whatever, but still. Still people in the area are going to know. Yeah, because I'm sure Tiffany's friends are, now who knows, Tiffany could be a complete and total bitch and probably has it coming, but <laughs> I know if it was me and I'm just trying to do my job and enforce the rules, uh, I don't want to get put on blast yeah. on Twitter, especially not by WWE superstars. <laughs> celebrities, whoever. It's not important, but I wonder if she knew who he was when she was talking to him. And that... Not that, like, celebrities should get special treatment. No. Or like that, but just... You, you have to know if, if, you're, right. if you're doing something like this to a celebrity... Yeah. ...that you're going to get called out and you're going to have a bad time. Well, and that's... On the internet. That's... It, it, it's... We've got... So I wonder live, if she was prepared for this or if she just had no idea who it was, thought he was just a random customer that... And could be. Away, and then now she's like, ooh, I have to. Yeah, it could be. I just, I'm I'm sitting here going, how how would this have gone if it was a Chiefs player here in Kansas City at one of our locations? But the ones that we've had come in, because we've had them come in, they don't cause issues. They just right. want to come in, see their movie. I, I haven't seen any of them take pictures with fans or anything like that. I think most I people even like Yeah. The only one that I've ever seen interact with fans is Tech 9, and that's just because he loves to do that. Right. Oh, God. I haven't seen him in a long time. Uh, it's because he's constantly touring now. So he's, but yeah, whenever yeah. he comes in, yeah, people are always recognize them. And I always tell the story uh, of uh, DJ. I do too. I was there for that. I God. was not, but I so, tell that story all the time. Hold on. So let's get this thing straight. So I'm going to tell the story since I was there. Uh, <laughs> so this is uh, 2009. My Bloody Valentine and uh, Notorious are the two movies that come out this particular weekend. So. Um, like a jackass, I assume Tech 9 was going to see Notorious. He was actually going to see My Bloody Valentine. Um, that's why we don't racially profile anymore. So, uh... <laughs> to be I, fair, he's a rapper. He's a rapper, so I would expect it. Yeah, I expect that he would be trying right. to see a movie about a rapper. Right, but apparently Homeboy likes his slasher flicks, and I don't blame him because My Bloody Valentine, except for the ending, was a blast. Agreed. So... Still the best use of 3D, which is sad because that was in the early yeah. days. Um, yes. Um, so anyway, I digress. So anyway, DJ is a, uh, a kid that we used to work with. He was, he was one of our frontliners, uh, who's big into rap and we're walking along and he and I are talking where he's working floor. I'm going to do whatever, probably helping him on floor. Um, and then we're sitting there, DJ's mid sentence. Next thing he looks over, I'm going to go ahead and use the F-bomb's getting used right now. <laughs> he goes, holy shit, you're tech nine. And tech nine is... Sitting there digging in his shorts pocket way deep down because he's, he's got his, his shorts bagging, sagging, and he's just he's digging in his pocket and he stops and looks at both of us just wide eyed like, oh my God, you caught me. And he just stops. He looks at us and he goes, fuck yeah, I am. Anyway, couldn't be nicer. Like, talk to DJ for a minute. Like, you know, I sat there and BS'd with him for a second. Uh, and then after the movie, like, uh, frontliners went over and greeted him at the door to that auditorium, and he signed autographs and CDs for him and everything. Yeah. Totally cool, like, just, you know, but that's the only time I've ever seen a celebrity <laughs> interaction like that. The worst one I've heard about, though, is, oh, no. uh, yeah, is Cat and Priest yep. Holmes, yep. uh, way back when, um, <laughs> When when one of the managers, I also tell this story whenever yeah. someone comes in that people recognize. I'm always like, "This happened." So because like uh, Ryan Lefebvre comes in periodically. Oh yeah, no, I dealt with his wife. Um, the other day. For those who are not in the Kansas City area, he's one of the Royals' TV announcers. Mm -hmm. His wife comes in, I think, fairly frequently. He comes in sometimes. Yeah, and 
I, we actually did have a frontliner that like tra- chased him down and, and talked to him. And luckily he was nice about it, but I was like, dude, don't do that. Don't do that. Be careful when you like, if they're standing right in front of you, you want to say, Hey, yeah, I watched a lot of Royals games. You know, yeah. you're awesome. Yeah. Cool. But don't, don't go chasing them down. Like he was waiting outside the bathroom for his wife and he just like wandered over there and started talking to him. And I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just be careful. Right. Yeah. Um, no, actually, speaking of the Lefevers, uh, Mr. Lefevers wife actually came in a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. It was kind of funny because she came in. She ordered her stuff. She's there with her ki- their kids. Um, and she, uh, I go, are you a member of our, our loyalty program? And of course, she says, oh, yeah. Well, and she gives me the number. I pull it up. And, of course, the last name's Lefevre. And so I pronounce, and I always, I tend to always confirm with the yeah. last name if I can, if it's something I can't pronounce, and I go with the first name. But I can pronounce Lefevre. There's you both, unless yeah. it's just something totally out there. Right. So, um, anyway, so I confirm it's Lefevre, and she goes, "Oh yeah." She goes, "Wow, you can't believe you got that right." Blah blah blah, and all this other stuff. Which how how, how I don't understand that. Like how, I feel like that's not that uncommon of a name. Uh, it, it's it's the way it's spelled because it's got that B in there that's absolutely random. Maybe it's because I've been a simple plan, simple plan fan forever. But. Could be. I anyway. She goes, "Wow, I can't believe you got that right." And this, that, and the other. And I'm just like sheepishly, very sheepishly. I've been. I'm, I'm sorry, but I I watch a lot of Royals baseball. <laughs> <laughs> she just she starts laughing. She is. I should have known. <laughs> and I'm like, it's totally cool. Yeah. Got her stuff. She no, she could couldn't have been nicer about it. But anyway, so back to the priest home story. So with Priest Holmes, he comes in to see a movie, and the manager on duty is all hyped up. Like, as soon, yeah. as, soon as Priest goes, gets a stuff, goes to his movie, he comes running out of the box you office. Oh my gosh, you know that oh is my God, that was effing Priest Holmes. Like, okay. So they're all excited. And so this girl, Kat, decides she's going to go and try and get his autograph. But she goes down to the auditorium, walks in there. And she, I shit you not, she asked him, are you Dante Hall? And he just goes, no, I'm, I'm Priest Holmes. And she goes, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm such a big fan, blah, blah, blah. Yes, <laughs> such a big fan. Can I, can I have your autograph? And so he told her, he's like, can I, can I wait till I, I'm just trying to watch my movie. I'll, I'll come back and sign it after, after the fact. And she's like, oh yeah. And then she left him alone. Apparently he got up and walked out after that. And for the longest time, we didn't have a whole lot of celebrities coming into our yeah, theater. Yeah, because that was, what did you say that was? That was about 2007. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's only been within the last year or two that I've started seeing any excuse players wandering in. Yeah. And even then, it's not. Not many. It's not many. Yeah. Um, I'm still waiting for Salvi to come in because I know for a fact from one of our cops. <laughs> he lives nearby. He lives nearby. <laughs> Said officer would not tell us where exactly, right? But he told us the area at least, mm-hmm. the general area, and he's only like ten minutes away. Yeah. So I'm like, please come yeah. on. No, there's 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 a bunch of them that live over in that area. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not not getting into specifics. Yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> no, with this whole Dave Batista thing, I I totally get his frustration, especially when you're trying to do something good for the fans that that do recognize you. And you know, I think with this manager, even if she didn't know who he was, surely yeah. she would have realized, oh, he's famous in some way, shape, or form. And not saying that he deserves preferential treatment, yeah. but should have been able to say, okay, these people can go ahead and go in because they were doing this. That's like so. At the last manager's meeting with our company, they talked about. Yes, we want you to follow policy, but at the same time, 
the the whole thing now is say yes, find ways to say yes to the guest. Mm-hmm. Like yes, follow policies, but at the same time, you need to evaluate if it's worth it in the long run. Right. Um, okay, you have a sold out theater, mm-hmm. and the, you know one person that has a ticket showed up. You know, fifteen twenty minutes into the movie. Right. By all means, no. If your policies turn people away, turn people away. Like it's yeah. too late. But if the theater was truly empty, like he said, and he it was still trailers, mm-hmm. what good does it do turning him away? Yeah. Like even with the no food or drink policy, we've been told if they make it to the theater with it, let go. Yeah. It's not worth. And I've watched that happen. I've I've had a manager force me to go into a theater with them mm-hmm. while they confront somebody over a fast food drink. Yeah. Not even like food, like a drink. Yeah. That they were told not to and they just walked in with it anyway. And they yeah. like literally followed them into the theater to their seat and basically caused a scene in the entire theater. Everybody was staring at them. Yeah. And I'm like, is that really worth it in the end? Because that person didn't go buy a drink. Yeah. We didn't make any money whether they had the drink or not. Right. In fact, they got angry about it and we probably lost a customer over it. Yeah. Over a fast food drink. Yeah. Like, it's not worth it at that point. Yeah. So yes, follow your policies, but there's a point where it does it does more harm than good. Yeah. And you have to know as a manager where that line is. Right. At the same time, on the flip side of that, I used to run a theater down in Texas in an area that <laughs> was very rough, and you actually had to have a zero tolerance policy on not necessarily like the food and drink thing, although didn't hurt to go ahead and enforce it too, since you're already there being a dick about other things. But we had a very strict no talking, no texting policy. It is posted. But I'm grown. Oh, let me get there, sweetheart. So, and and what sucks is that the district manager told me I probably needed to ease up off of it. And I went, no, because let me lay this out. The first weekend I'm there, the movie Valentine's Day had been out one week. So it's still doing pretty well, at least at this location. Uh, There's Section 8 housing across the street. Uh, so kids are coming over from there. They're coming unsupervised and they're not buying concessions. They're not doing any of that. When you walk in, in, in a mall, theater. in a mall theater. So when you walk into the theater, uh, or in the mall, the, the concession stand and box office are all connected and it's all one big Island right in the middle of the walkway on either side. You've got the entrances to, uh, to the auditorium. Oh, those projectionists were awful or projection proje- <laughs> booths were awful. Projectionists were okay for the most part. Anyway, um, so yeah, so at the box office and then on either entryway, we've got it posted with our rules and with our no tolerance policy, or zero tolerance policy and all that. Um, and then of course, ticket takers on either side on the weekends, tearing tickets and reminding you, please shut off your phone. Please don't talk during the movie. You know, don't, don't be disruptive. Yeah. That first weekend I'm there, that first Friday, I have to go and shut off the late showing of Valentine's Day because kids are running up and down the aisles, making an ass of themselves. They had four or five warnings just before they got in the door, not to mention the four or five warnings they had in the auditorium during the trailers. Yeah. I can't count how many times we stopped the trailers just to address this. Got 10 minutes into the movie, and I had to shut it off because kids were still being unruly. Um, and so we shut it off. I went ahead and readmitted the the people that I knew weren't screwing around, but the kids now no refund, none of that. Um, so then f- fast forward to Alice in Wonderland opening weekend. I got a big guy James who's running who's 
tearing tickets at the at the main entrance to the the big auditoriums. He tells this woman who's with her little girl, you know, make sure you shut your phone off. It's posted there at the door. It's posted at the box office. It's we we have people go in and announce a warning before the movie. That's like last chance. Yeah. There's no reason you couldn't have, you couldn't have gotten a memo. Anyway, well, as they're walking in, her little girl goes, "Mommy, please turn your phone off. I want to watch the movie." You know and that that was what was heartbreaking about the whole thing. This little girl even knows. So we get in. They get in there. Movie gets going. Woman starts playing on her phone. I'm in the office and I get pulled out. Hey, we got a man or a customer out here that's that's upset about the. I'm like, okay, what are they upset about? So I walk out there and and she goes, you know. I understand you got to have this no talking, texting policy for kids and whatnot, but I'm grown. And I just go, congratulations. So then you can comprehend that there are consequences to breaking the rules because the rules don't specify if you're a child, you can't talk or text during the movie or play on your phone during the movie. Your phone, it does, says, your phone doesn't magically become non-disruptive when you hit a certain age. Right. The light on your phone is the light on your phone. Exactly. Whether 15 or 50. Yeah, exactly. And it's brighter than you think it is. Oh. Trust me. Oh. Even on the lowest brightness it's your still phone will bright. do in a dark room, yeah. that's still bright. Yeah. And so she's like, well, I understand, but I'm grown. Well, congratulations, grown. I'm Kyle. Like, seriously. Like, what more do you want? Like, I'm, I'm not, you're not getting anything out of me. You broke the rule. I actually had the district manager tell me, well, probably ought to ease up on that and this, that, and the other. And I just went, dude, you're not down here. Like, seriously, you, you, you're you, not here. You're not seeing what I'm having to put up with. Anyway, I got let go four months later, so it doesn't matter now. So, And he's gone, too. So kiss my ass, Matt. Anyway. So yeah. Can we can we wrestle some? So else? I I like I, said, I get saying yes to the guest, and I'm I'm yeah cool with that to an extent. Yeah. Because I'm still of the belief that but, the customer is not always right. No. Um. Not. And if you're acting like an asshole. But that also comes back to something we always talk about mm -hmm. is knowing knowing your customers. Exactly. What works for one theater is not going to work for another theater. So right. yes, you need your corporate policies, and, and you yeah. want to be somewhat. Uh, Similar, you know, the same in, in from location to location, but at the same right. time. You have to understand there's some give and take between, you know, across the state line in Johnson County, their customers are different than, than the one than our customers. Yeah. So having a yes, blanket, far more uppity. having a blanket way of treating everybody isn't going to be the same. Right. Yeah, and I think that's probably the biggest lesson I learned working at four different theaters. Now yeah. it's it's all different because I've worked in a college town, I've worked here, mm -hmm. I've worked way down south, and I've worked in. Um, in a small town. So, like, I've... Smallish town. Technically, I've only ever worked at ours, but I worked for a weekend in a nearby one, Blue Springs. Yes. And then I went out to... I've done that, too. And Olathe. I went out to Shawnee. No, I never worked at Olathe. Mm. I never even went to Olathe. Um, I worked... I did an evening at Shawnee after yeah. the remodel, before our remodel, so we right. could kind of get an idea of what was coming. Yep. And that's that's the extent. Yeah, yeah, I've done that. I've done that too at Shawnee. But then I also I've had conversations with yeah. lots of other managers though. Yeah, like how, what their theaters are like. Yeah, I was gonna say I've also done. But when I said Olathe, the old Great Mall, I did that one. Yeah, um, that's what I was talking about. Yeah, and it's, I never, I, I never went out there. I did. I did like a weekday shift, and holy shit, like a ghost town, Trisha. Did you have any customers? Uh, I think we had like a handful. I could probably count them on my hands and toes. I remember when Jeremy ran that theater. Yeah, I would get. 
text snaps when it became a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, of just him just bored. Yeah. Yeah. It. Oh, no. Like I, I get every now and then, uh, oh, hey, we sold the ticket to a kid show today. Yeah, I wound up walking the mall on that shift. Like, <laughs> seriously. And, of course, like I said, the whole thing, ghost town. Like, um, it's no wonder that it's gone now. When I, when I did the weekend in Blue Springs, that was back in the day when you could, when there was, when we were using um, DBS. Mm-hmm. And so you could go online and you could look at the attendance for your theater and other theaters. Right. And so literally like I would be standing there and whoever was working with me, we'd have all sorts of conversations about comparing our you know, 16 screen theater and their eight screen theater that apparently is doing well now after a remodel, but yeah. the time was always slow. And so I literally, I would sit there and I'd pull up the attendance and be like, well, we did 200 for that round. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a good day. And I was like, and then I'd pull up my phone and be like, um, at my theater, we did 600. And they're like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Those are numbers? Yeah. So. It's, it's fun talking to the ones that have worked, especially being at the manager's meetings and talking to managers of, like, small theaters that have only ever worked at small mm-hmm. theaters. Yeah. I, I also still go back to the first weekend we were our, – our current company took over – and uh, Dylan came out to help out. Oh, yeah. Just that because we, we had a new, we'd just gotten uh, Vista. So we had an all new POS system. And so he was there to be more hands on with the staff and help them kind of learn to navigate the POS system. And he was excited about how busy we were, but he was like constantly, everything was like, my, my staff wouldn't handle this. No. He's like, we're almost out of napkins and they're freaking out. Yeah. And all I all all I had to do is be like, "Hey, we need napkins," and, and I'm stealing napkins from you guys, by the way. And that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> like it was constantly like, "Oh my gosh, this is crazy. My staff wouldn't handle this. This is great." Right. So that's why when we found out he was coming out to our theater permanently, some people were like, "Oh, he doesn't." I'm like, "No, he knows what he's getting himself into. Trust right. me, he yep. does know." Oh and yeah. He's excited. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I think ours is actually one of the most exciting locations I've still been in because something's constantly going on. We're one, constantly it's one word for working. Another word could be absolute shit show, but, you know, it depends on the weekend. So, anyway, uh, speaking of the weekend, let's go into the box office real quick. Um, Because we're getting ready to come up on a break here in a few minutes. So, uh, top five, here we go. Actually, let's talk about new releases real quick. Uh, We had five of them. And here's where they all respect or performed at. And I'm just going to, I'm not going to give names. I'm just going to. I'm going to give you. Five next week and then another one next week. Right. So I'm just going to give you yeah, late summer, early fall. Right. I'm going to give you the five positions where these these new uh, new films opened at this weekend. Two, four, six, seven, and eleven. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when I tell you where the where those come to here in a minute, keep that in mind. So Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw repeats at number one of twenty five point two million. Scary Stories, one of the new releases, Ooh. opens at number two at, with twenty point nine million. Lion King drops down to number three at 20.2. Dora and the Lost City of Gold opens at number four with 17.4 million. And then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood drops from three to five with 11.652 million. Uh, That's all kind of in line with with what I expected. Based on our theater. Right. Uh, The Art of the Racing in the Rain came in at six. The Kitchen at seven. And then Brian Banks, the other new release that we got, dropped all the way to number 11. To be fair... I didn't see squat for Brian Banks no. ever Not at sure. all. Um, the kitchen I saw a few trailers for Art of Racing in the Rain. The only advertising I've seen for it has been at the theater, <laughs> and it's been on that TV in the lobby on a loop. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, so continuing a trend of Disney. We, we had Art of Racing in the Rain in a fairly small theater, and honestly, it should have been in a bigger theater. Yeah. We sold out of that theater mm-hmm. just about every show. Meanwhile, The Kitchen. The Kitchen was in one of our big theaters. Our We have six theaters that are kind of on the main hallway that are big that we refer to as the big six. Mm-hmm. The Kitchen was in one of the smaller of the big six, but still, it was in one of the big six. And Yeah. It might have been half full at its busiest, but I don't think it was even that full. Right. Meanwhile, Art of Racing the Rain is in a somewhat medium-sized theater and mm-hmm. is literally sold out every show that, that I was present to look at. Which is impressive because, like I said, it only brought in $8 million this weekend. Yeah, but we have lots of... Uh, oh, I know. We, we are... The, the target audience for that movie, we have lots of... Yes, yes, we do. older people. Guys, chill out. Sorry, the dogs. That's the dogs one that's probably going to continue to sell through the week. Yeah, which I did kind of notice that a bit on Monday mm-hmm. as I was doing the schedule. Yeah, we get a nice little boost in attendance. Yeah, it wasn't terribly shocking. Um, I honestly, I expected Dora and the Lost City of Gold to do a little bit better. Um, I didn't. I, I just a little bit. I didn't say much. Um, I was hoping Scary <laughs> Stories would have done. Scary Stories performed within expectations. I was hoping for more. Yeah, agreed. Dora, I expected to see a lot of, like, families coming to it. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't surprised to see a lot of, like, um, Spanish speakers coming into it. Because we do have right. a decent amount of um, Latinos mm-hmm. that, that come in. Oh, yeah. And especially when we have something that's, you know, Spanish theme, like Curse of La Llorona. Right. We, we had a lot of Latino families coming to see, like, stuff like that. They get Ruining my about. experience. Oh, I don't even want to get into that. <laughs> Um, so I wasn't surprised to see like Latino couples coming in to watch it. I'm like, okay, they're excited for something Spanish. They want to support it. That's cool. But I saw a lot of like high school, like high school, I kind of got, I was like, okay, they grew up with Dora, the one over the childhood a little bit, but I saw a lot of like college and up age people coming to see it. And I was really confused. Yeah. Apparently it's getting really good reviews, which surprised me, but apparently they're saying it's very, very quirky, very goofy. It, it does not take itself seriously. And I'm one going, of, well, the Explorer. One of our frontliners, bless her heart. I love her to death. Raved about how much she loved it. Yeah. She, she's a high, uh, high school age. She loved it, but I think she was also excited because she took Spanish and she talked about how she actually understood a good chunk of the Spanish in it. And nice. I, so I think that kind of tempered it a little bit. Yeah, yeah she was like, it was actually good. Yeah. Even another frontliner that's friends with her was like, she tried to get me to go watch it and I don't want to go watch it. Uh, I saw several elderly couples go and see it by themselves. No grandkids. They went to see it by themselves. Which I found huh. really interesting. So apparently it's it's pretty broad, broad spectrum. So we'll see how that one performs over the next couple of weeks. I did see kind of family that they came. They wanted to watch. Crap. I want to say it was either Lion King or Dora. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But I think it was Lion King because Dora did well. But I wasn't turning people away yeah. for Dora as much as I was Lion King. Because sure. Lion King, it's that time of year where... We have so many new releases that movies get moved to smaller theaters before they probably should. Yeah. A.K.A. Lion King. So we were selling out a Lion King like crazy. And there was a family that showed up. They had like six or seven people. And there was not that many seats left in Lion King. And so they were debating whether to wait the like hour and a half to the next one or go see something else. And all the kids were like, oh, scary stories is that? I want to go see scary stories. And it was like a, a dad, his kids, and his mom. Mm-hmm. And like the kids were all excited about scary stories. The dad was like, 
I don't really care. Yeah. We can go see scary stories now or we can wait an hour and a half and, and go see Lion King. But this poor grandma, they ended up going to see scary stories, but the whole time she's like, I'm going to go see no scary movie. Like, just like, I was trying so hard not to laugh because she was so miserable about the whole thing, but she did it. She yeah. did it for her grandkids, but I was just like, I'm sorry. Sounds like my grandmother. She does not do scary movies. Uh, she, uh, I wanted to be like, I wanted yeah. to be like, it's not that scary, but it, it was decently scary for a PG-13 scary. Oh, no. When we watched it the other night, Crystal uh, was, like, covering her eyes and cringing and gagging the whole <laughs> way through. It was fantastic. So yeah. uh, so it did yeah. its job. But, like, my grandmother, uh, not the one that we completely constantly reference on here. Um, this is my other grandmother. She, uh, her, she took my uncle to see Alien when it came out in 78 um, and has since said, yeah, I don't need to see another scary movie ever again. Nope. I'm good. I'm good. All right, so we're coming up on the break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, movie pass and a little bit of scandal with uh, them going downhill. Their fall from grace has just been fantastic going to watch. Downhill? I mean, they're in the gutter as far as I'm concerned because I haven't seen them in a minute. Ain't so much more hill for them to go down. Uh, it just keeps rolling and then just you know just right into the crap pile. So we'll be right back. All right, we're back. So uh, I really wish I could get get the recordings rolling like longer because I feel like the whole Milo, Milo Ventimiglia conversation we just had like <laughs> during the break would have just been hilarious to listen to. But that's not what we're talking about today. So we're moving on. Uh, got some news here in the past week or so, or this past week. Multiple former MoviePass employees have accused CEO Mitch Lowe of ordering some subscriber passwords changed without their knowledge ahead of Avengers Infinity War to block those quote-unquote power users from accessing the service. Um, I don't know about you. I think that's shady as shit. Yeah, uh, So hold on. So uh, Business Insider spent four months investigating the rise and fall of MoviePass. The company is still active. Its subscription-based movie ticket services were just put on a temporary hold to deal with maintenance-related issues starting in early July 2019. The site is still replying to frustrated subscribers on social media, and these latest reports can't be making things easier. So here's what the new report, uh, and includes details about the company's fear of high-volume MoviePass customers, the ones who helped grow the company to a million subscribers faster than Netflix and Hulu got to the same milestone. But the company struggled with the reality of power users taking advantage of the low-cost monthly service to watch movies every single day. It's a recipe for losing a lot of money, which was to be expected. Uh, but here's a quote from a quote uh, a former employee on CEO Mitch Lowe. Before Mitch came on, it was quote How do we how do we slow those uh, slow down those users? With Mitch, it was just f those guys. Several unnamed former employees told Business Insider that Mitch Lowe ordered MoviePass to start limiting subscriber access ahead of the release of Avengers: Infinity War in late April 2018. Employees said Lowe even ordered that a small percentage of power users' passwords be changed to prevent them from logging into the app and ordering tickets. Wow. Uh, so I already don't like the MoviePass thing. No. Um, I, I, I want to say, to everyone who thinks that they know everything about MoviePass, it's actually way older than you think it is. Yeah. Because I remember before the whole boom when everybody heard about it, you know, a person coming in, there was, we had... One guy that was a decently regular customer, mm-hmm. he'd come in three, two, three times a month, maybe once a week. And he would come in with this movie pass card. Mm-hmm. And 
our frontliners would always be like, I don't understand what this is. And half the time they get confused and they call one of us up because they didn't understand how it worked. Cause I remember, I remember asking him about it cause it was fairly easy. Like he always was just like, I just have to swipe the card. I promise it's okay. And it would always go through. So finally I asked him about it. And at the time, I think it was $25 a month, $25, $50 a month, something, something like, like that. that. It might've been 40, but yeah. it, was that, it was not cheap, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But he talked about, cause he talked about, you just have to go see three, maybe four movies a month and you get your money out of it. Yeah. He goes, so it's not for everybody. Right. But if you really like going to the movies, he said to him it was worth it. Yeah. Which I again, like I think this guy came in average maybe once a week. Right. He'd go see, you know, a new release, whatever. And he'd have his movie card and his movie path card. He said all he had to do was just I think at the time it was call. They didn't have an app at the time. Yeah. He would just have to call them and be like, I'm here at such and such theater seeing such and such movie, and right. they would activate his card and it they were basically kind of the similar way it worked before. You would just have to check in. Mm-hmm. So he would pull into the parking lot and he would call them and be like, I'm about to go see blah, blah, blah at this theater. And they would say, okay, and activate it. And then he would have a certain amount of time yeah. to swipe his card to get his ticket. And then he'd go. Yeah. And to him, it was worth it. And I remember um, when everyone started talking about MoviePass, it, it got bought by the current company. I think, I think it got bought out. Yeah. Because I think it, it really didn't have many sus- subscribers before. Like, I think that guy right. was the only guy I ever saw with it. Yeah. And he talked about how hardly anyone ever knew what it was. Right. And then it got bought out, and suddenly it was, oh, $10 a month. And I remember immediately going, well, this ain't going to work. Nope. Because, like I said, it was it was more expensive. Yeah. When the, when I talked to that guy about it, because he acknowledged, he goes, I know a lot of people that don't want it because they don't want to pay that much. He's like, but I got to see a lot of movies, so to me it's worth it. Sure. And I remember thinking, hmm. That's, that's an interesting yeah. idea, like, in concept. But then when I heard that they dropped it to $10 a month, right. I was like, oh, because we're not giving them deals. Yeah. They still have to pay us. Yeah. So people go see two movies. Mm-hmm. They're losing money. Yeah. <laughs> all of us were like, this ain't a good business model. No. So we all saw this downfall coming. Yeah. It was just a matter of time. Right. And how much hell they could put us through before it, it finally Hit the breaking point. Yeah. Well, AMC. Thank God it finally did. Right. Well, AMC actually made the smart move and just designed their own Mm -hmm. for their own theaters. And I honestly think that's what every chain ought to do. Yeah. Because then you've got it in house. You set the rules. You set the number of movies that you can go see and make it worth your while. Um, Yeah. I think I know AMC. I feel like Regal has one. You get more loyalty out of them. I think exactly. You get the more loyal customers that are. Exactly. You give them a deal on the tickets like that, and they're more willing to. You know, they're saving a bit on the front end with the tickets. They're more willing to spend a little on the back yeah. end on the concessions, which is where we make our money. Exactly. So, all right. Uh, so back to this, though. A Reddit thread was started on opening day for Infinity War, uh, and it started with this. Is anyone else having trouble logging in after the update? I always have money in the account to pay for it. After I update it, it's trying to make me log back in. When I try it, it says, failed to retrieve subscription. I'm having the same issue, and I reset my password and everything. Same here, failed to retrieve subscription status, happened right as my wife and I were standing at the ticket counter to get in, which I did witness happen on multiple occasions. Hers worked, mine didn't. Turns out the movie was sold out anyway, so we just went home, shaking my head. What was it, Mission Impossible? Mission Impossible got blocked. One of the first big meltdowns? Yeah, they they blocked it um, from being being Mm -hmm. used. So, um, so yeah, just uh, between, between the poor business model and then the now shady business practice of 
blocking yeah. blocking out movies and then blocking people out from their accounts. Um, it's I'm surprised they're still around because uh, I feel like the, the yeah I didn't think they were yeah I feel like the SEC had gotten involved and and started investigating and all of that. Uh, but yeah, they're they're still here. I just I can't fathom now. You and, and it, reading about this whole thing, it made me think about when you and I were uh, subscribed to Nerd Block. Oh my gosh! Um, which I bailed out before you did, but yeah, you unfortunately got shafted on the money on the front end, which is what happened to a lot of people with this. Well, because yeah, so I had done the the six month yes. subscription, and I remember debating whether to cancel it or not. And I didn't decide in time. Like I thought I had a few more days before it hit. And then right. I got an email that it had hit. And I was like, well, okay. So after that, I was like, this is it. This is my last six months. Mm-hmm. And I unsubscribed then, but it was, it was too late. Yeah. I think we made it another two. I think I got two more boxes out of that before right. it hit the fan. Yeah. And then I had to go through the whole process of when the new, the new company bought them out being yeah. like, Hey, you owe me equivalent mm-hmm. four boxes. Right. Which yeah. is why I don't, I'm going to do any subscription boxes. It's going to be monthly from here on out. Oh, I, absolutely. I ain't trusting anybody with a multi-month right. subscription anymore. Yeah. But uh, it's really, it was just nerd box. Cause I've, yeah. I've seen the hello freshes of the world, the bark boxes, all that. Those have been going on for years and they're doing well. And it's because yeah. they've made it at a price point that's yeah. manageable for their I consumers. Kitnet box, which is yeah. the cat equivalent. Right. But box. you're still doing the month to month. But I'm still doing monthly, but it's, it's like, $15, yeah. yeah, and I know that they, they give you incentive to pay for three months in advance, yeah. six months in advance, but or whatever. It's, it's not enough to, to right. calm my fear of right. the nerd block debacle. No, and I, don't, and I don't blame you. And I wouldn't I wouldn't want to pay for something that I'm not sure is going to be. That's why I went ahead and quit the nerd block thing. Um, and I, if I had signed up for MoviePass, which by the time I found out about MoviePass, I was already back at our theater. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I'm like, oh, I got free movies. I don't give a shit. So... <laughs> um, you know how many people I told that when they're like when they were fighting with their movie pass, yeah. and they were like, "Why don't you know how this works? I get free movies. I don't subscribe to this thing. This has nothing to do with my yeah. company. This is a separate company." Yeah, I know how to redeem it. Any problems you have beyond that, your problems are with them, not exactly. us. Exactly. Um, yeah, I just I found this whole thing bizarre, and I'm I'm sitting here going, "Why?" And of course, Who they're is always still using yeah movie pass at this point, right? After all the trouble that's been happening, yeah, no, get away also, from it. What theaters are still accepting it? Like, I know technically we still accept it, but you have to have the card, and it's very limited on what movies you can pick. Right. I haven't seen a movie pass card in probably at least six months. I was going to say, I see one maybe every couple months. Uh, and you know what? You're right. I haven't seen one in about three or four months. So maybe <laughs> other than the f- movie pass cards that were lost at our theater and are still sitting in our safe that no one ever came to claim, which I'm ready to shred. So let's let's just have a bonfire and get rid of those too. But I know because I remember when we got the notification that our theater was turning off the e-ticketing, yeah. which was, <laughs> I think was the nail in the coffin because e-ticketing allowed them to basically get whatever they wanted. Yeah. And then they just had to redeem it like anything else. Well, and when and they turned for, off e-ticketing, yeah. well then they had to use the card, which meant they had to check it then. They couldn't really mm-hmm. get it ahead of time as, as easily. And they were super limited because new releases were not eligible yeah. for use with the card. Right. And so that was when everything kind of went downhill and the, that was the decline. Yeah. People coming in our theater with it. Yeah. So, all right. So 
we're going to go ahead and move on from there. But basically, if you have MoviePass, get out from under it as quick as you can is what we're telling you. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's move on. So Disney bought Fox several months ago. or finalized that deal. Uh, they took a $170 million loss this quarter. Um, thanks to Dark Phoenix as the biggest part of it. Because that movie cost $200 million to make, only made $252 million back, and that's not including any of the marketing costs or any of that. So Pretty sure Disney can cover it, though. Uh, they'll, they'll be fine. I'm not worried about that. However, because um, I think Fox was releasing 16 to 18 movies a year, Disney's decided that under the Fox label, they will only be releasing 10 movies, maybe more, a year. But half of those are going to head directly to Disney's new streaming service or Hulu. So that would include the Home Alone remake, uh, Night at the Museum. The ones that are going to be safe from this as of right now would be any, obviously Avatar, probably Planet of the Apes, and then the Kingsman franchise. Uh, of course, they got Ford versus Ferrari coming out in this fall, and then a movie called Free Guy uh, starring Ryan Reynolds next July. Um I'm not really shocked by any of this. They've still got uh, the Murder on the Orient Express sequel that they're doing, and then West Side Story remake uh, with Spielberg coming over Christmas this year, or next year. Um, and, of course, Deadpool and X-Men are going over to Marvel Studios, wow. so don't have to worry about those. But uh, kind of a big deal. I, I, I know I know Disney is a huge conglomerate, and they'll be fine i just i find it really kind of funny and i'm hoping maybe that with the with the drop in annual releases theatrically and that's a huge drop that we'll get some better quality films i mean at least that's the idea and at least that's what yeah. they're they're saying um because let's be honest disney for the most part makes quality films again yeah. for the most part they're not always going to be bold they're not always going to be daring but they're at least going to be entertaining yeah um sans lion king um I don't know. I uh, uh, they own most of Hulu anyway. Slightly off topic. Did you see the um, the post that was going around of someone's take on what the Home Alone, the new Home Alone, should be? Did I not send that to you? Uh, where it's supposed, to, where it should be his mom home alone and finds his old plans. And I would, he's like in LA trying to get. Yes, trying to get back. Yes, I no, would totally... you didn't send it to me, but I saw it okay. today. Okay. I would totally watch that. Yeah. Yeah. If that's what they decided to do for a reboot, I'd be okay with it. Um, I feel like you could talk Macaulay Culkin into it. He's uh, not doing a whole lot these days. No. He's sitting around on his couch making fun of the Home Alone remake. So might as well make it worth his while. Uh, so all that being said, with, with them paring down their releases, we've got one release that they've got that we've talked about a couple times on this show uh, that's not getting out there anytime soon. And that's New Mutants. Um which apparently they're unimpressed with. And you have to be impressed with it. Just release the damn movie. That's what's have it. It's done. Yeah. I'm with you on that. It's well, and they haven't done reshoots yet. Cause I'm sure there probably need to be some done, which means that the special effects are not done yet. Uh, it was rumored to be rated R with Fox. It's probably going to be pared down to a PG 13. If they even go that route, I say, keep it the way it is. Finish the effects on it. Release it to Hulu. Agreed. Um, because this is just, it's ridiculous. It this is. movie, this, we had a trailer for this in twenty October 2017. It's been two years since the first trailer. Yeah. Um, you know, it's one thing to get a teaser a year out. Yeah. It's an but entirely different thing to have two years and no solid release date. Yeah. You know, because it's been pushed back twice now. It's still sitting for April 3rd, 2020. And again, they still haven't done reshoots. They haven't got the actors booked to do anything. 
I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to wonder whether or not this movie is going to see the light of day. What do you think? I'm, I'm in the same place. Yeah. You've I'm, got the poster. I do. I, I had already thought about taking one because it was a pretty cool poster to begin with. Yeah. But the second I got pushed back and then the merger happened and got pushed back again, I was like, uh-uh, I'm taking this poster because uh, <laughs> that might be worth some money one day. Right. Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm just overhearing about it. Like just put the damn thing out there and be done with it is where I'm at. Um, yeah. So we got another movie. Again, maybe one day when I'm retired. Huh? <laughs> one day when I'm retired, be like, Oh yeah, I have this thing. Right. Um, <laughs> take it to Comic Con. Yeah. that guy. Yeah. Well, speaking of Disney, they're also looking at doing a live-action Aladdin sequel, which is fine. But then I question whether or not they're going to use Return of Jafar or King of Thieves as inspiration. Well, my first thought was, are they using any of the existing? They haven't said Aladdin sequels. Are they doing their own thing? Because I kind of hope that they're going to do it. They do something completely different. So, so this is what producer Dan Lind said about the potential of a second Aladdin movie. Uh, he said, if I told you the fans would go crazy, it's just too early for me to reveal. But just know that we're looking at a lot of different source material, and it's not going to be based on one singular source. But we're going to take the best of everything that's been done before and create something fresh and new. Sounds like they're going to take the Star Wars approach and, and cherry pick things yeah. that we already have had before yeah. and try to create something I'm different. okay with that. I, I am too. I, um, I just was hoping they weren't going to go straight, continued reboot, and just take Return of Jafar and... Yeah, I make it straight up. I like the idea of going in and doing a sequel because it was really good and it did really well. Sure, but do something new with it. Yeah, um, I just I kind of wonder because this is going to be this will be their third sequel if they wind up doing it um, to one of their live action remakes because they did Alice Through the Looking Glass, which did not perform well. We've got Maleficent, Mistress of Evil coming out this October, which we'll see what happens. And they've also been in talks to do a Jungle Book 2, which I'd be curious to see, depending mm-hmm. on what they do with it. Um, <clears throat> I do think there's potential there um, with the way that the last one ended, you know, and yeah. possibly seeing Princess Jasmine ruling Agrabah um, and just going from there. I just don't know that I want to see – I don't know that I need a Return of Jafar rehash or anything like yeah. that. No. Um, I think it would just depend on what they do that I'd probably be okay with it. Um, and then the next thing is too is doing sequels to musicals uh, over the years. It's hard to do songs that are just as memorable as the originals. Sure. Um, yeah. So I don't. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do with that. I'm not sure that I really want it. But if it's halfway decent, I'll probably turn out for it. I don't know that I'm sitting here rooting for it to happen, but sure, I'm not upset. Yeah. By the idea of it. Yeah. So. Um, all right, well, we're going to go back to that whole canceled movies thing, because uh, this is the big one for the week. Um, the Hunt, which uh, we were supposed to have released on September 27th from Universal, uh, we found out on Saturday was being, at least it's released as of right now, canceled. I would assume probably postponed, because it'll probably wind up one of two things will happen. They'll push it back far enough that people forget about all the stuff going on right now and then release it probably like a January or February where they can kind of dump it and be done with it. Um, or Comcast and universal are doing their own streaming service and it could get released to that, which would be the same thing that I said, do with new mutants released to Hulu. Similar idea here. Uh, but apparently 
And I'm not going to get on a political soapbox today because that's not what this show is about, even though there are definitely politics involved with this story. Yes. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and go into this. So the Hollywood Reporter, here's the headline. Behind Universal's call to scrap the hunt, death threats and negative test screening feedback. Wow. Um, so politically charged satire denounced by Trump and the right sparked menacing emails as its, as its violent marketing ran squarely into horrific news of a trio of mass shootings. Um, which I, I can understand postponing it due to current circumstances. Right. Uh, that makes it, sense. Like, and it wouldn't be the first time. Like, Boondock Saints was pulled from theaters early because of Columbine. Yes. Um, Not saying that was the wrong move. Right. The Arnold Schwarzenegger film uh, Collateral Damage got pulled uh, from its release date right after 9-11 and got pushed back like yeah. six months. Like, pushing it back, deciding, hey, now is not the right time for this right. movie. Get, and that's, understand it. And that's totally right decision fine. in that respect. But Absolutely. It's uh, satire. It, it is. Um, and anyway, the, the whole premise of the film is uh, the hunt chronicles a dozen quote unquote deplorables trying to outlast a group of private jet flying elites bent on killing their anti-choice, anti-gun loving or gun loving targets. Um, this is first off, it's not, not the first film that's been made where we talk about, you know, the rich hunting, the poor man being the most dangerous game. That's, that is an old trope that's been done before. This is movies and TV shows. Yes. Um, and even from universal, this would be, this would be the, not quite the exact opposite, but basically the political opposite of the purge series, which does deal with the, the wealthy conservatives, manipulating middle and lower class people against each other, as well as hunting those people for, you know, their own sick agenda. I enjoy those movies. Like I I say, enjoy, enjoy as much as you can. I enjoy the, the satire of it, the, the political implications of it. It gets you to think. Psychological and sociological. Exactly. Kind of commentary. This is no different to me. Especially first purge. Yeah. The first purge was great. Um, for that, that same reason. This I wanted to see because, yeah, you know, I, I as much as – and I'm not going to deny I'm a bleeding heart lib through and through. <laughs> but I always want to hear what the other side has to say. Yeah. And by doing doing this story where the conservatives are, you know, the We're protagonists, um, I didn't have a problem with. Again, totally understand postponing the film yeah. because of El Paso and Dayton. Um, at the same time – I don't understand ragging on this movie as promoting violence when, you know, as, as far as I'm concerned, we have a bunch of other divisive issues in this country that are causing that violence, not film, not video games. Yeah. Uh, Cause when you look at those, these incidents, you'll see, and I'm not putting blame on anybody, but you'll see they're not citing video games or movies for what they're doing. They're not citing music. They're not doing any of that. Why art forms get blamed for these things, I don't understand. Because it's easier than confronting the actual causes. Exactly. They've been peddling the same story since Columbine 20 years ago. Yeah. When we were kids. Right. So... Back to this story, though, but here's here's how bad it's gotten. So on August 6th, Universal Pictures held a test screening of The Hunt in the San Fernando Valley. And this is the second screening, and test audience members, again, this is not the second, now the second time, uh, test audience members were expressing discomfort with the politics of the film. I don't know mm-hmm. on which end of the politics they, they had issues with, but yeah. obviously didn't feel comfortable with the, with the satire. 
Um, sources say the studio's internal security force became involved once uh, the day uh, that they planned to alter their film marketing plan, which was before they decided to go ahead and cancel the release. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. So probably about the 9th? Because the, the shootings happened, what, earlier in the week? They didn't happen on the 10th, obviously. They happened the week before. I think so. Yeah. Um, anyway, in the wake of those, the trio of shootings, because, yeah, there was the one in California and then Dayton and El Paso. Yeah, they, uh, they, just, uh, they The Universal executives and the filmmakers began receiving death threats through email and social media. And that's when they paused the campaign altogether on the 10th. This is when they decided, we'll pull the release, we'll figure out what we're going to do. And see, that's where I start having issues. If you're upset about the violence why are you sending death threats right why are you responding to violence why are you trying to say violence is wrong while using violence as a tactic yeah that's not okay no and you know we had we had an issue with the interview when it came out several years ago Mm -hmm. where the north koreans were threatening violence against america you know, yeah, if if we release the movie, well, we release the movie anyway, so kiss our ass. Um, and granted, that's Too that's another con- like fewer theaters, right? And wound up putting it on Netflix, and now it's you know it's a cult classic to an extent. It made its money back. It did all that. Yeah. Um, you know, this is the same thing when when you have politicians railing against a film that nobody's seen yet outside of these test audiences. Yeah. Um. You know, and start throwing it under the bus just because of the quote, the just the, the first page of the script. Out the yeah, um, you know that's that's where I have a problem with is that you're not you're not giving a movie a fair shot. Um, uh, that's funny coming from the guy who's ready to rag on Lion King from the first trailer, <laughs> but I still sat through it and I was hoping that I would like it more. But yeah. this was one where I'm going. I want to see if, if that is, if that is indeed the case that it's going to be, you know, the, the political opposite of me being protagonist. Yeah. I want to see that, yeah. you know, I'm not going to stop watching a diehard movie just because I disagree with Bruce Willis's politics. Mm-hmm. I think we've had that discussion on this show before. Probably. I, I want, I want to see, I want to be entertained and I want to be told a story. And if it makes me think even better yeah. just by being satirical. Yeah. Um, That's why I like the purge movies because yeah, because of the, like I said, psychological and sociological right. commentary that's in them. Like right. Talking about anything that talks about kind of how humanity in general would react to yeah. X, Y, and Z circumstances. That's why, like, people rag on dystopian fiction. That's why I enjoy it. Right. See kind of the different ways that people perceive how people re- would react to yeah. these situations. Yeah. Well, Some people call it depressing, but I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, no, that's why Children of Men is one of my favorite stories, like favorite oh, films, yeah. um, is because it delves into that and how the world's responding to that situation. Yeah. That's that's why I really was hoping for more. Uh, like again, I enjoy the Marvel movies, but a world with with superheroes <laughs> in it. How are people actually going to react to that? That's what I want to see more of in those in those films or any other superhero films. That's why I like the yeah. Boys series, is because so it really takes. You get a chance. It's really good. Uh, it is uber violent, and it is a, a a take on superheroes and corporate culture that I don't think we've seen combined yet. But to sit there and just completely dismiss a film, and then to use it as a scapegoat for the violence in the world going on right now, it, it's not fair. It's not fair to the filmmakers. It's not fair to the studio. Yeah. It's not fair to the actors involved, the writer. It's not fair to anybody. Um, and I think it's a shame that, that this has had to happen. 
Yeah. Uh, again, I agree with postponing it. Like, I don't have a problem with that. I can wait six more months, a year, however yeah. long they decide to push it yeah. back. But to sit there and plan on canceling it entirely just because you people are using it as a scapegoat, I feel like is wrong. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm sure. I know there's there's people out there that disagree with me. A friend of ours uh, straight up told me that neither this or the purge should exist, and I'm going. Then you're kind of missing the point of either movie <laughs> because it's not designed to stoke fear no. and anxiety in people. It's designed to make you think. It's designed to show why. This is bad. Yeah. Why? Yeah. It's it's not to it's not designed to promote violence. It's designed to show right why it's bad. Hence satire. Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah. How many people don't understand the point of, of satire. satire? Yeah. And I'm with you on that. So we're gonna get out of this segment. Uh, we're gonna take a break. We're going to stop being heavy for a minute. When we come back, we're going to start talking about scary stories yeah. um, and talk about fears from our childhood and our top five favorite book-to-film adaptations. So stick around. All right, so I'm going to give you a little inside baseball, guys. We just lost all of our recording for the last like 30 minutes, which covered most of our, our, our review for scary stories and our top five uh, book to film adaptations. So we're going to do it all over again, but you're going to get an abridged version now. So scary stories to tell in the dark. I loved it. I thought it was an absolute blast. It was. Um, probably. I don't know that I take young kids to see it, but mm-hmm. that eight to eight to 15 range definitely works for. Yeah. Um, it's intense. It's not. It's not gory or violent. No, so, and it's PG thirteen, so you know it's not chock full of language. So you can you can take the older kids to see it without too much of a problem. Yeah, but it is kind of intense and scary. It is. So the younger kids probably a little too much for. Her. I saw some little kids being sold tickets to like parents yeah. bringing like little little kids to it, and I'm like, nah. yeah. I don't know about this, but okay. You're, right. You're a parent. Uh, you know, uh, that's the thing. If you're a parent and you're listening to this, you know your kids better than we do. Yeah. So I can't yeah. tell you who, which ones to take them to. Especially considering I'm the guy whose mom let him watch RoboCop as a toddler. <laughs> uh, and her reasoning was because there were action figures. I thought it was okay. Because the 90s were awesome. That's all it boils down to. Uh, no, I had a blast with it. I love the mm-hmm. fact that we actually got a, a Latino lead character in it and he's actually the cool character in it um with that little bit of casual racism thrown in because it's set in the 1960s uh and so you you kind of get that social commentary with with him and and how people regard him as well um and goes to show that yes we have you know there are ghosts in this story as well but i like that they showed that casual racism without making him have a giant chip on his shoulder and have him be right. just a giant asshole about it. Like, yeah. He's just trying to kind of keep, keep his head down. Yeah. He's and, just the cool and, and drifter. And on, and, but yeah. he, he gets sucked into this, this whole ordeal and right. he can't just walk away from it. Yeah. Um, when we recorded this earlier, uh, one of the things you mentioned was the use of the artwork as an inspiration yes. for. And they, they could have just done the easy okay, when these stories were happening, have Sarah Bellows in the corner, like, appear, or right. appear in the mirror, kind of like 
what most scary movies do when yeah. there's something like this that it's a you know the the spirit of someone doing something right but instead it's that kind of inky black shadowy presence that just kind of creeps out from the corner mm-hmm. and just appears and it's very reminiscent of the kind of ink drip style mm-hmm. of the artwork in the books yeah that i remember mid movie leaning over and being like this, this i like this but yes. they did this yeah it's a nice little callback yeah to the the art style in the book no i i have to give guillermo del toro and andre overdahl a lot of props for using that as the inspiration because that's what everyone talks about. Yeah. Yes. The stories, but everyone those, always, those, it's always followed up with those pictures, man. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those pictures are unsettling. They're not like scary, but they're yeah. unsettling. I, I used to shy away from them as a kid. So, um, seeing that brought to life, it just brought back all those memories. So I'm not going near that book. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. Um, eventually wound up reading them, but like, and of course rereading them again before yeah. we watched the movie. Uh, another thing I found that was interesting was that uh, they used all three books for inspiration because we thought maybe they'd just use the um, the stories from the first book throughout the film. And yeah. it turns out that I, the ones that we, I icon- was- that we remember as being iconic were actually from like book three. Yeah. Uh, which I found which I really own, funny. So that confused me. Yeah. So although, I remember them. Oh, so I did I did find those stories online though. Scaryforkids.com. They've actually got those stories and they really Yeah, so they actually still some of them still have those drawings from the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually wound up reading the dream one, which is the pale lady story. And so it's got the it's got the image from the yeah. book, that that same yeah, it's it's drawing those- style. I think the, that's what made those car- those stories scary because yeah. you had that image that went with it. And right. so you weren't making up something kind of passively not that scary in your mind when you read it. Right. You had that creepy image. And so that's what you're imagining, yeah. especially with like the pale lady. Right. I remember that drawing. Yeah, I do too. And so it caught me off guard because I'm and sitting Harold, there. I remember that scarecrow. Yes. Because the story may be in book three, but the that image of the scarecrow, scarecrow is in book one. Yeah. Um, hold on. So I, like I said, I found this website the other day and it's got all these scary stories and it's got the scary stories to tell in the dark stories in there. Um, but it caught me off guard. It didn't like scare me, but I just went, what the hell? So I clicked on the dream story and just watch, no, no, watch it. Uh, It winks at you or blinks uh, at you. It moved and it almost, yes. Like that actually seeing that brought to life was just unsettling. Um, yeah, no, I thought the movie was a blast. It did what I thought Ghost, uh, Goosebumps should have done. And, yeah. um, because Goosebumps did the kid friendly route yeah. of just uh, taking Which the stories fair, and making them amalgamation. And it works and it's fine. It's not what I, I wanted out of it, but it was fun. Second one wasn't quite as good, but no. I enjoyed the first one a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but this one but actually. Yeah, now watching this, I'm like, okay. Can we get a redo? Right. Well, and I, I told you earlier, uh, when it comes to Goosebumps, I'd rather just see straight up adaptations, like film adaptations of those stories. No, sorry. What's Fru doing? Oh my Sunbathing. God. Sunbathing. <laughs> so she just rolled over. She's got to get her tan on. So. Trying, to get, trying to get that belly. Oh, other side. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, they're watching. I'm going to put on show. Anyway. Uh, yeah, no. So I, I love to see Goosebumps actually go and, and adapt the stories. Yeah. Welcome to Horrorland. That's all I want. Just give me that as a two movie series. That one in Return to Horrorland. Just do that because that the ending of that one's just so much fun. What's the one where they move into a house next to the graveyard? The graveyard keeps scooting closer. 
you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I know which one you're talking about. I can't, I can't remember, remember what it's called. What it's called. Um, they like like the the main character has to like move in with their grandma. Yeah. Like every day they swear the graveyard is closer. Yep. But no one believes them. Right. Yeah, I can't I can't remember what it was called, but there's one about a vampire dog too. Yeah. So, um, God, the ones that always stood out to me though were like say, uh, say, say cheese or die. die. Um, which they did get a grown-ups adaptation by the same director from this, um, called Good. Polaroid that never saw the light of day. So. If I can find it, I will totally watch it and let you know how it is. But, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, this was just, uh, it, again, it was cool to actually see those stories and see a horror film that didn't rely on a bunch of gore and a yeah. bunch of, a bunch of jumps. It still has jump scares in it, but they're effective. They're done well. Um, and the creatures are just so unsettling. The jangly man, uh, mm-hmm. the me Tai Doty Walker story uh, that he's featured in is just, uh, I'm cringing. Just think about it. what you're looking at. We're going to pull over. Oh, okay. This is 2019, but yeah. Yeah. It's, we had, you had the poster like two years ago, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. First thing I said, I found said it was supposed to be released August 25th, 2017, but it was pushed. I don't. Well, maybe Disney can just put it on Hulu and we can be done with it. Wait, I've had this conversation before. Plot of the film is nearly identical to an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark titled The Tale of the Curious Camera. What about Goosebumps? What about Goosebumps? It's literally the plot of a Goosebumps book. Right. Uh, uh, so, yeah. So it's January 10th, 2019. What's the release date? Uh, it must have come out to like limited release then. So. Anyway. Where are you now? Who knows? If anybody can find out where Polaroid went to, that film, let us know, because we'd like to check it out. Just to see what we got ourselves into. But. Alright. Anyway, I think we're ready to move on. It's time. Let's do our top five book-to-film adaptations. Trisha, I'm going to let you lead off. Okay. Whenever you're ready. Uh, Number five is Hunger Games. Okay. A uh, friend of online friend of mine was super into it and talked about it a lot. Um, friend from the fan fiction world, nerd. I know. Yeah. Um, would we? Well, we met through fan fiction, but we, right um, through message boards back in the day. Stop it! <laughs> We're feeling old. Um, and she always talked about this book that I had never heard of at the time mm-hmm. and hadn't really caught on much yet mm-hmm. but it was called the hunger games and she was obsessed with it and she talked a lot about it being one of the big like inspirations that got her mm-hmm. to start writing herself yeah so i was like okay i'll bite right i'll, I'll check it out and so like i said i was in college so i think i ordered off of amazon back when you know amazon was yeah for books and just books and I read it so freaking fast. Like I was obsessed with it. Right. And I think the second book either just come out or was about to come out. And then it wasn't actually too long after that, maybe six months later, mm-hmm. like suddenly everybody was talking about it. Yeah. I don't know how that happened, but it was everywhere. And yeah. then they announced the movie yeah. adaptation. And so it was one that I got to kind of watch it grow in popularity and, watch the transition from just a book series that people like to yeah. a movie adaptation, mm-hmm. which was both good and bad. Cause then I had to deal with all the fan girls that worry more about what a character looks like than the acting ability yeah. of said character. 
as you called out the first time I said this, Finnick. <laughs> I was, that's what I was most worried about. Pretty much, like, it wasn't even, like, the three main characters that right. everybody was obsessing over with the first one. I was like, who's going to play Finnick? And are they actually going to do that character justice? Right. Because Finnick is my, not just my favorite of that series, he's one of my favorite sure. literary characters in general. Right. Because there's so much depth to him. So yeah. I, I am thankful every day that that they cast Sam Claflin. Yeah. Because he did a fantastic job. And I think the, the when I knew that he was going to do a good job was before the movie even came out. He posted on social media that he, he was actually asking fans what their thoughts on the character and what they wanted to see and what they thought of his character and right. whatnot. Because he even said, I want to make sure that you guys are happy yeah. with what I do. And that's when I was like, I'm sold. Right. <laughs> He's putting in a lot of effort yeah. to do this right. Right. But I know a lot of people got kind of burnt out on it and the hype that surrounded it. And sure. I that. And even I'm not like obsessed with it like I used to be. Right. But I still think it's a fantastic series. Both, sure. And I think they did a great job with the, with the movies. Yeah. I think they just suffered from the finicky nature of moviegoers that are. Yeah. Ready to move on from things a little faster than they can make sure. movies at times, especially when you have a series that is that many. Right. Oh, I remember you. Uh, sorry, <laughs> uh, I remember you. Uh, you telling me about those books and getting me hooked on them, and they're they're good. They're not like the greatest written pieces ever, but like again, it's back to that whole uh, man is the most dangerous game and having people hunt others or manipulating people to hunt yeah. others. Um, that same trope, which is right for good storytelling if you do it right. Yeah. Um, that was one of the things I liked about it. Um, you know, I, I thought Mockingjay could have been better, and that's actually one of the things I like about those movies more is that they were able to expand on certain things from those books that they yeah. couldn't couldn't quite go from because the books are told from Katniss's yeah. uh, point of view. There's a lot of stuff that they included in the books that we know happened, but we didn't get to see. Right. Or we assume happened. Because, yeah, like you said, the books are told from her point of view, so you're right. limited, whereas with a movie... You can expand on that. You can you can include yeah. that. Um, yeah. So, uh, my number five is Misery. I had to choose at least one Stephen King adaptation. I went with that one. I really debated on The Shining, um, mm-hmm. but Misery is the one that always just stood out to me, probably mostly for the hobbling scene, mm-hmm. which is totally different from the book. Um, this is now the second time you're having to hear about it. Yep. Sorry. Uh, but I'm going to tell you about it again. So she puts that wooden block between his ankles and slams him with the sledgehammer. And it's far worse in the book because she uses an ax and doesn't cut all the way through. Like she just, yeah, it's pretty gruesome in the book, but the way that those characters are brought to life, uh, especially Kathy Bates. Uh, Oh, she, she is brilliant in this. And this, that's the movie that put her on the map. She is so damn scary in that movie. Um, Like any, any time I meet a really nice person that kind of like is super nice, doesn't curse or anything like that. And then they lose their shit. When they lose their shit, I sit there and I go, okay, I'm checking out now. So I'm getting the hell away from you before you cripple my ankles. So, uh, yeah, misery is my number five. Number four, uh, I'm going with the Godfather. Um, cause I love the book Sans for whatever reason, Mario Puzo had like a, uh, had to get into graphic detail about uh, Sonny Corleone's uh, uh, genitalia. 
I don't know why he had to had to tell us about how big it was and all of that and what it was doing to the girls he was sleeping with. And I'm like, what? Every, every time someone's trying to think of a polite way to refer to it, I think of uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. Oh, yeah. Quivering member. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. Uh, yeah, so there's... Anyway, barring that, the book is really, really good. Um, the movie is that much better. And, of course, the book actually covers... Uh, all of movie one and then half of movie two, which is all of the, uh, the flashbacks to Vito Corleone's childhood and immigration to America and rise through the criminal underworld. Um, but yeah, those, those movies really brought everything to life. And, uh, I think, I think Francis Ford Coppola being Italian helps make it because he understands exactly the history of those immigrants coming over and their rise up through that kind of world. Yeah. Um, uh, it's also one of the greatest films of all time. Two of the greatest films of all time, really, with part two. Um, yeah, so it's just hard for me to exclude that altogether. Yeah. So uh, that's my number four. What's yours? Uh, the Book Thief. Okay. Which um, you said you had not. I had not read it, read it or, seen, or it. seen it or anything. No. Um, I'm that weird person that's obsessed with like World War II and the Holocaust and like reading stories about it. Even right. It's like super depressing. Oh, yeah. But, um, but I, I thought it was interesting because it's it doesn't follow the perspective of a, a Jew mm-hmm. during the Holocaust, like a lot of them do. Right. This follows a little German girl whose family is hiding a Jew in the basement. And like everything she witnesses, she's not fully understanding what's going on. It's that child's perspective. Of yeah. Why are these things changing? I don't understand. Why Why is this person hiding in the basement? Right. But the man they're hiding is very educated and he, he loves books. And so if I remember right, she, she sneaks books down to him for mm-hmm. him to read. And, but she goes down there and she has conversations with them and like learns from him and, and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, it's very sad. Book maybe cry, okay. which did not prepare me for how much I cried when I watched the movie. Right. And having to walk down the hallway and hear Woody, Woody, <laughs> echoing down the hallway, and I'm like, no, close the door. Out. Um, the manager I watched it with got mad at me because she says I didn't adequately prepare her. Right. For what was coming, and I was like, well, I'm yeah. not going to tell you the ending. <laughs> I told you it was sad. Right. Apparently, that was not good enough. No, no. But the the book was great. I thought the movie was really good. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right. Number three. The Outsiders. Woo! Stay gold, pony boy. Read it in eighth grade. Okay. Got to watch the movie. Nice. Um, I'd actually discovered I'd watched part of the movie on TV mm-hmm. before we read the book. And then we got to read the, actually watch the movie. Right. And I thought it was a really good adaptation. Yeah. I think the story's really good. Yeah. He said, stay gold, pony boy, stay gold. Still get misty-eyed every time I hear it. Um, all right, so most of the ones on my list have been straightforward adaptations that are mm-hmm. pretty close to the books. This one is where it diverges pretty wildly, but for the better, I think. And it's not The Shining. Um, it could have been, but it's not. I only wanted to include one Stephen King thing on here. So one of Spielberg's uh, Jurassic Park, based on the Michael Crichton book. A lot of the liberties that they took with the movie work in, in the favor of the film and, and elevate it. But for me, a lot of it's got to do with childhood, loving dinosaurs growing up, all that. Um, and some of the elements that were that were in the book at least carried over to the second movie. 
So if they didn't get included in the first, um, but like the big changes they make were like, you know, having Ian Malcolm, Jeff Goldblum's character, uh, survive as opposed to dying at the end of the book or supposedly dying. Cause he winds up surviving to make it into book two. Cause he's the main character in that. And I don't know. It, it was a little wonky storytelling there, but I'll allow it. Um, uh, but yeah, that's that's why I went with Jurassic Park. It's just a lot again, a lot of the nostalgia yeah. factor. But yeah. if you're going to if you're going to make changes to to your source material for for your film, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Um, and I would say the same about The Shining, where you you find things that are scared that translate better to film because I don't think yeah. things that are always in books translate to film very well. Um, and that's why we have such a hard time separating the two. Yeah, like Hunger Games, the mutations as they're called. Yeah. Those were her, the idea of them were horrifying in the book. Yeah. But there was just no way to translate that to the right. screen. Because in the book, she realizes that, uh, as she gets close to one, she realizes, she sees their eyes. Yeah. And she recognizes them as the eyes of the competitors who have died. Yeah. And that is a horrifying revelation. Right. And it's but not, not conveyed well. There's not a way to convey that well. Mm-hmm. In the movies, so yeah. they just left it as, oh, there's these horrifying giant, giant dogs that are right for you. Yeah. Um, all right, so number two is Psycho. Uh, I read the book by Robert Block back in high school, mm-hmm. um, which, again, they make Hitchcock made a few changes for, but that's because the amount of violence that is depicted in the book, you, couldn't do the you can't do in 1960. So, <laughs> uh, But it works out so well, and Hitchcock just does a fantastic job of bringing the suspense from that book to the film um, and having it translate over. I wanted to include Vertigo, but I never read the book that Vertigo was written by, or based yeah. on, so yeah. I went with Psycho. Number two? To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. It's classic. Read it in ninth grade and yep. watched the movie. Okay. I kind of... I feel bad including it a little bit because I've included more for the book than the movie. But sure. I do enjoy the movie. Right. And I do think it's a good adaptation. Yeah. I still remember um, my teacher putting it on and half the class, namely one of the guys, piping up me like, it's in black and white. Ew. I hate that. She was like, it's an old movie. Deal with it. I like that Watch both it. of our, sorry, I like that both of our number twos are black and white films. <laughs> <laughs> Just very different <laughs> genres. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, um, but no, like, I think that was the first book that I can remember that had a lot of, it was heavy on social commentary. Yeah. But I really enjoyed it. And I always hated, as much as I love reading, I always hated reading books for school because they right. always told you when you have to read this much yeah. on this day. And uh, for some reason, that always bothered me. But for that one, I actually had to stop myself from reading ahead. I wanted to go read it. Right. And I just, I love that. I yeah. I think it's really interesting. I had that issue with Great Gatsby in high school. I and I hate how much people don't yeah. fit over the use of the N-word in it. I'm like, but it's social commentary on racism. Well, it's set in what, the 1920s, I think? 1930s? I want to say 30s. Yeah. I know it's based on, on Harper Lee's childhood. So yeah. it's, she, it's, it's in a time period where, yeah. in the South, no yeah. less, where using the N-word is... Socially, socially acceptable, acceptable unfortunately uh, yeah did you did you ever read ghost set of watchmen which was kind of a sequel to that oh uh, i remember yeah i remember seeing it but mm-hmm. i i never got around to getting it yeah reading it. Uh, i didn't either so all right so what's your number one you i already know, know the answer just it's harry, harry potter harry potter 
as a series, it, it has its ups and yeah. downs. One and two were basically direct. Mm-hmm. They took the movie and turned it into a script and made it. The third one you've heard me rant and rave about over the years that I think is because it's the least like the books. And right. I, it, because he took, in my opinion, too many liberties sure. with it. Yeah. And, you know, the whole series, the series as a whole has its its ups and downs. It's sure. great adaptations and it's mm, not so great ones. But overall, right. I think it's a fantastic adaptation in general yeah. of a really great book series. And the fact that, like like I said, with like Hunger Games, mm-hmm. by the time you got to the end of it, a lot of the hype had died down and people were kind of not as into it as they were. Right. Versus Harry Potter was able to stay, sustain eight movies yeah. Over a very large period right. of time. And not die down. Still not die down. We're, we started our... Well, we sold out that we started retro night retro show night. last you night. sold out of it? Pretty close. In the grading screen. Yeah. We at um, least sold out most of the upper section. Yeah. Um, yeah, we... So, for those listening, people are like, what are you talking about? We have a retro series that we... Gen- usually it's roughly once a month. We'll, have, yeah. we'll play an older movie for a little cheaper on like a weeknight. And just for fun. Yep. And starting last night, um, we've started, we're airing, we're showing the whole Harry Potter series once right. a week for the next eight weeks. Yeah. And I knew the, the four o'clock had sold 60-ish tickets, which usually, it, so we play it at four and seven. Right. Usually our four o'clock retro movies do very little. Yep. And then the seven o'clock does better. Yeah. It varies wildly depending on what movie we're showing. Sometimes they do nothing. Sometimes they do well. Harry Potter, the first Harry Potter was last night. And I know the 4 o'clock did like 60 people. Yeah. The 7 o'clock was in the green screen. And it, yeah, it did quite a few. I don't know if it quite sold out, but it, it was filling yeah. up pretty quick. I mean, we pre-sold. Yeah. Like some lot. like 60 tickets for it. Yeah. And usually with retro nights, you mm-hmm. pre-sell maybe half of the people that show up. Yeah. And usually you get about... You usually double the pre-sold number of mm-hmm. people showing up. They have yeah. the fact that it's still going. Yeah, and it's only going to get bigger on this series just as we get closer to yeah. part seven and eight. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I like the Harry Potter series a lot. And actually, uh, I think I've told the story before on the show. I can't remember if I have or not, but I know I've told you the story. When that first movie came out, I hadn't read the Harry Potter series because mm-hmm. I wasn't interested. Uh, I was always uh-huh. I was all always about more of the spy stuff, you know, yeah. not not the typical kids' fair. Um, and so I I wanted to go see Ocean's Eleven that particular weekend. I wound up having my parents went to see it instead, and I wound up getting stuck taking my brother and sister to see Sorcerer's Stone mm-hmm. that same same day. And I wound up really liking it, and it actually got me into the book. So I wound up reading through like the, the first four yeah. books in a matter of a month um, pretty quick. And so, yeah, I wound up really enjoying it. I don't know that I would have gone with one of my favorite. I will give you, it's a great series. that has been adapted yeah. um, barring your issues with three or five or whichever ones. Uh, Cause I know there's issues that everybody yeah. has with it, yeah. but you're not going to get everything you want into one, no. two, two and a half hour film no. anyway. So um and I know this. I know this from so personal. Yeah, ex- they never worked peeves in at all. Yeah. Oh well. Peeves is great. Yeah. Um, but oddly enough, so I, I didn't establish the rules before we started our list today. Uh, so basically, the rules were you had to have at least read the book 
or read the book and seen the movie was what we preferred you to do. And then, yes, we would let you include a series. Yeah. Trisha included with, two. With Harry Potter, mm-hmm. the, the first movie came out. Uh, I was in, I was a freshman in high school. Yeah. I got into the series. Um, I want to say summer after seventh would have been seventh grade. Yeah. So when I was in junior high, um, so we had PE every other day. Mm-hmm. On the days we didn't have PE, you could either be in art or music, or you had the option to apply to either be an office aide or a library aide. Right. I applied to be a library aide and I got accepted. So the days I wasn't in PE, I was in the library. We checked out books, returned books. We had it like a shelf we were in charge of that we would dust and face and whatnot. When we were down in the night, because we would switch off one day, we would be upstairs. Our library, there was two... They're, they're basically in the middle of, like, a, they were open area surrounded by classrooms. Mm-hmm. The main floor was the fiction section. You went downstairs where it was bigger, and it was the nonfiction area. Right. And the nonfiction area had newspapers, new periodicals, whatnot. So we we would change, switch out. We had a certain uh, – we were in charge of switching out the periodicals and whatnot. But there was always a, a shelf or a cart that was the books that uh, were on hold mm-hmm. people had requested. That was the first time I'd ever come across the Harry Potter series. Yeah. This was when there was three books out at this point. Yeah. Those books never saw the shelf the entire year. Yeah. There was a list mm-hmm. of people waiting for those books. Right. So every time it came in, it would never touch the shelf. We They'd be contacting the next person yeah. to, to check it out. And I remember being like, what are these books that people are so obsessed oh, yeah. with? But it's not like I could check it out because, like I said, they never saw the, the shelf. Yeah. So that summer, if I remember right, the fourth book came out. And I remember we still got the local paper at that point. And I remember sitting at breakfast, sitting at the table eating breakfast and, like, flipping through a newspaper because mm-hmm. didn't have smartphones back then. Right. You read the cereal box or whatever was around. Yeah. So we had a newspaper, I think the, the Lee Summit local paper, mm-hmm. sitting there. And there was, like, a front page article about a midnight release party for this book. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? Like, and they had a picture of all these people at this midnight release for a book. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I really need to know what this is. Right. So I talked my mom into buying me the first book and I think I read it in two days. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need the second book. She yeah. was just like, okay. Read that in like two or three days. And right. I, did, I kept doing this until I got caught up. And then in eighth grade, they instituted, they called it club. So we didn't, instead of having homeroom every day mm-hmm. on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we would have a club and there was like a whole grouping of clubs we could pick from. And you had, I think there was three sessions throughout the year and you can only pick the same club twice. And so they established a Harry Potter club. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was in that for two or three sessions with a bunch of friends of mine and we were all obsessed with the books. Yeah. And so we had to go see the movie when it came out. But by the time, so by the time the movie kid come out, I was already fully obsessed with this series, right. and it just never stops. Yeah. Ever. Anyway, yeah. So I, uh, I was say when it came to Harry Potter, like so I had that that whole thing with Ocean's Eleven. But before that, like I was living in West Virginia, and so everybody's doing their little book reports or whatever. I'm reading anything and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody's going on about, well, so my favorite thing to do is read novelizations of movies. So I had like the Men in Black novelization, The World is Not Enough, all that. Um, and so I was doing my book reports on that. Everybody else is talking about Harry Potter or other kids' books. And I'm going, what the hell is Harry Potter? <laughs> of course, like I said, had that had to go see the first movie with my brother and sister. And uh, kind of turned my world around. 
Um, I've never been into the whole magic thing before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I applaud those books and those movies for what they are. Cause those books get kids reading. Uh, and I'm, I am big on that. Cause I, I, even when I was little bitty, I, I like made my mom order hooked on phonics so I can learn how to read. And I maybe got through the first two books and quit and then I was ready to go. Um, you still see kids who are definitely much younger than much, us. much younger. And they're still reading them. They're, they're reading, still eating like, them up. Um, we, we, we barely, so we, one of the other managers and I put together a little photo booth for the Harry Potter series. Yeah. Um, actually did it pretty cheap yeah. for Amazon. And so we got everything kind of set up, realized we needed some sort of sign. Yeah. And in the time it took us to go to the office, type up a sign real quick and come back out, there was already people taking yeah. pictures of stuff. Oh yeah, there were kids doing it last was, night. This was an hour and a half before the first one even aired. Like these people weren't even here for Harry Potter. Right. Like, they were there just happening to see yep. another movie and came out and were like, oh, look. And like, we, we actually had to wait to put the sign up because there's people already over there taking yeah. pictures. And a lot of these kids are little kids. And so we put out a hashtag for them to use. And so I was kind of looking to see if anyone had posted anything. And not a lot, but I did see some on Instagram this morning. Um, like little kids. Yeah. They were all excitedly posing with it. And I'm like, these kids probably weren't even born when the first movie came out. And they're right. like all excited about Harry yeah. Potter. I see friends that post about how they're reading Harry Potter with their kids now. Right. And they're all obsessed with it. Yeah. Uh, girl that I graduated with, I shared something on Facebook about uh, a whole bunch of like people's uh, like headcanons about like Hufflepuff and Slytherin friendship. Right. And one of my friends from high school commented and she's like, this is so funny because my kid is, I don't remember. My kid is, I think, a Slytherin, and my boyfriend's kid, daughter is a Hufflepuff, and they're the best of friends, and this is so them. Yeah. And I'm like, these are kids that, you know, are born born to kids my like my age. Right. And they're being introduced to it, and they're loving it. Yeah. Like, it just, it transcends generations. Yeah. It, it, Nikki was like, story was like, there's there's already people taking pictures, and I was like, dude, Harry Potter fans ah. don't play. They're still obsessed. Yeah, the movies may be done, the books may be for the most part done. Right. You yeah. know, J.K. Rowling, bless her heart, you can't can't escape. No, nope. can't get over it. Hold on, Ripley, stop. Daddy's got to talk about his number one. Come here. So I think that's the mark of something great. That yeah, it can transcend. Absolutely. What? What? No, no. You gotta stop. Come here. Come on. Here. I'm gonna throw your ball outside. Perfect. Okay, so you chose. I find it. So, again, so we, we had two black and white films for our number two. Our number ones are both either a British series or from a British series. Um, you knew I was going to choose James Bond, yep. uh, but I'm not choosing the whole series, um, for a couple of reasons. One being to that be the, fair, they're separate, well, separate stories. yes, for the most part, they, there's no like through line continuity through all the books. I mean, there, there is some, but not, not like an overarching story like there is with Harry Potter. Yeah. The other reason is that a lot of the films, at least after this particular one, don't take everything or they're not direct adaptations of the book. They wind up taking bits and pieces and cherry picking the best yep. parts and for, crafting for an original story. Of exactly. Um, and it was hard cause I had to choose 
I had to choose between three, four, actually. And I went with the one that, that has always stuck with me as, as being a great piece of character development for that character. I'm going with Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Um, I know everybody's sitting there going, why aren't you choosing a Connery one? Uh, and it's, it's simple because, like I said, I, as much as I love the Connery films and as much as mm-hmm. Thunderball is a great adaptation of its book and Goldfinger and From Russia with Love are all both pretty, they're all just pretty well straightforward adaptations of their books. This one is so close to the book, it's almost like watching the pages come to life on the screen. George Lazenby's not my favorite James Bond, but, um, you know, he does a, a good serviceable job with it. Yeah. Diana Riggs, still one of my favorite Bond girls. Uh, but it's their their story and their chemistry together as Bond and Teresa, as, as they fall in love, um, you know, and then ending in tragedy for him and really explaining why, you know, on down the road, we just, he's still a womanizing, yeah. you know, not, not wanting to trust anybody uh, kind of person. Um, you know, I think the film, I think the film is just one of the best pieces ever, ever done. Uh, I will, I will defend it to my <laughs> dying breath. Um, and it's just, it's got cool set pieces. It's set in the Alps, which we hadn't seen done yeah. in a Bond movie up until that point. Like it's got a whole bobsled sequence between Bond and Blofeld trying to kill each other. Yeah. That is still exciting and still uh, a better piece of stunt work than what you'll see in a lot of things these days. Um, you know, the music in it's fantastic. It's just, it's one of my favorite films ever. Yeah. And like I said, that's not to take away from any of those others. It's just, if I'm going to choose one that's based yeah. on a book, be that one. that's the one. Um, and like I can go to it any time. And like I said, it probably even more so now with tragedy in my life, like it's, it's even more relatable to an extent. Yeah. Um, you know, it just, like I said, I just, I, I adore the film and I wish it, I, I, it's starting to get more recognition, um, from, from fans and critics alike yeah. that are starting to recognize it for what it is. Um, like I said, it's, it's the one Bond movie, the Bond movie and book that I think makes him actually human and not just the related, you know, an unrelatable super spy that everybody just aspires to be. Yeah. It may, puts him back on, on our level. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's why I think it's fantastic. So that's my number one. Like I said, as much as I wanted to put the whole whole set on there, I went, you know. And there were others that I wanted to do too. Like again, it was just a matter of I hadn't read the book, so I would have included Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I would have included Goodfellas, uh, Shawshank Redemption, Redemption, uh, The Green Mile. Uh, There's a whole slew of them. Um, I almost put Jumanji on this list, Uh, and I really thought about. I was like, maybe I should have a kids book (laughs) on here because Jumanji would be a good one. I don't know. Were there any others that you wanted to throw in there that you just couldn't by the time you were done, or were you okay. struggling? You were already struggling to get. Not that list I can anyway. think off the top of my head, but I'm sure. Yeah. I know there's ones that I flipped through that I was like, "Oh, it's a good movie," but I haven't read the book. Yeah, Forrest Gump was another one. Shawshank Redemption was the main one that I was like, yeah. "I really want to include it, but I haven't read the novella." Right. It's based on. Yeah. So, all right, well, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, we'll be back next week. I don't know what we're going to talk about then, but we'll just see what happens. Um, in the meantime, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at drunk underscore theater. Uh, follow us on Facebook at mydrunkmovietheater.com or mydrunkmovietheater. Uh, there's the mydrunkmovietheater.com. I really ought to work on that. Um, 
yeah, just uh, keep listening, keep checking. Go go to your local multiplex, see a new original films. Go see go see scary stories. We're not getting paid to advertise it. We just really liked it, and they'll find that. Like when we're enthusiastic about a film, we will let you know. Um, there have been others where we've just like, yeah, it was good. Go see it. You know, this one we're like, no, go see yeah. it. Um, I'm just I'm disappointed that it's not getting an October release in time for Halloween. I know there's a bunch of other stuff coming out around that time. That's going to be it is coming out in September instead of October. Uh, I th- I still feel like it's going to be doing well going. It's going to do well regardless. Yeah. But. So, um, yeah, but uh, maybe they're trying to take advantage of the. A time, a time well, of year that there's not a lot of company. Right. Well, that and Warner Brothers doesn't want to cannibalize themselves with that and uh, Joker. Because Joker true. comes out first week of October. That's so. true. I didn't think about that. Yeah. So, and then, and then, and it, that and it also gives them space between uh, one Stephen King film and another because we've got Doctor Sleep coming out in November. Oh, that's true. So, uh, that's why it's coming out in September sure. when it is. All valid points. Yep. So, anyway, all right. That's going to do it for us this week. Uh, I'm Kyle Sutton. I'm Trisha Campbell. And have a good week. Mm